Good day, good morning, good evening, and thank you for tuning back into another edition of Talk So Real with Matt Sanzala. Oh, a member of the Pusher Mania Podcast Network, the only member of the Pusher Mania Podcast Network at the moment, I do believe. Trying to make some things grow and grow and grow finally over the summer. Oh, we're like a we're like a rap podcast already. They're choking off that shit. Got some drinks, all that shit. Yeah, you're excused. We're going to get your mic on in just a moment, sir. Today, tonight, whenever you're listening, I don't know. Oh, see? This is how it's going to be. I know it's going to be the whole podcast. I don't mind, though. I don't mind because we keep it real. There's there's no stopping here. There's no second takes and things. I'm here with an old great friend of mine, Mike Flannery of the American Psycho Band back in the day. He had a, an amazing reunion show just before the pandemic and things like this. And uh, we've always been meaning to talk about old Austin, old things like this and DC and Baltimore, Maryland and PG County and punk rock coughing off that shit. The more you cough, the more you get off. And uh, if we had our own marijuana company, that would be my Jesus. Why did I invite this? This is going to be the whole podcast. Don't tune out yet. You're going to enjoy it pretty soon. Within the second hour or so, the coughs are going to, Soothe your mind and make you feel better. Make you feel right. Or just make you feel bad for the man. Anywho, like I say, this is Talk So Real with Matt Zona. We like to talk, but we also like to play some Merzics. And we're going to get started with uh, the first song I ever heard from Mike Flannery in Company, the American Psycho Band. I remember when I heard about them back in the day. I remember uh, Tim Kerr was producing them, working with them and things like this. I remember they had a sub-pop 7-inch and being in Houston... I would hear about this Austin band that people would be like, oh, you like the Laughing Hyenas, you like all this touch and ghost stuff, you like all this harder, more raw type music. You might like American Psycho Band. And uh, I did, and I do. And this is a song right here called Soul on Ice, and we'll be right back with Mike Flannery.
Man, that was a song called Soul on Ice by the band American Psycho Band out of Austin, Texas. My brother, uh, Mike Flannery, was the lead singer and bass player of like their group. And they had a lot of big things happen in the 90s. And were one of the bands that I was excited about seeing and hearing and being around when I came down to uh, Texas. Not Texas. When I came from Houston to Austin every now and again, I'd just come... <laughs> He's still coughing. Mike, 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 come on. Let's get over here. Let me introduce you. I gave you uh, I gave you all the sore throat sprays, the things, the CBDs, the, the MCTs. The He got his, his shots. He's all ready. He's ready. He could travel around the whole world. He's ready. Mike, get up to the mic. Hold up, hold up. Mike Flannery, y'all. Hello. Hello. Yeah, see, I expected a much more dynamic introduction from you, man. I was ready right. for you to just sit down and, and it'd be like a, a Mike Flannery Mike Flannery verbal Facebook post in your face. Just well, it's one of them things where Mike just comes with that. We're talking about all this stuff. We're talking about all this stuff, man, and I'm like uh, I'm like All right, see, we should have prepared more. Take the mic and go like that. Like that. Yep. Isn't that better? Say it. Can you hear yourself? I can. All right, get a little closer. Come on. That's a lovely timber. Put that put that COVID all over the motherfucking uh-huh. mic. No, yeah. COVID's over. We're in Texas. What am I talking about? It's done. No, I've I had one shot. I need to get another one. Man. But I they didn't have Moderna at the H E B. Man, you went down to the H E B and they didn't have it for you? We went to the Club H E B, yeah, over there on what We are far west. Far west Club H E B. Man. Oof. Oof, 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 oof. Ooh, man. Well, <clears throat> Mike, I'm so glad we finally get to sit down and talk here on the podcast tip because what else are we going to do? You know, to be honest with you, I, I look at the, the whole world of podcasting and YouTubing and the things people do, right? And I'm like, so many people are doing the same things over and over and over. You can cough. If you have to cough, you have to cough, man. <coughs> What are you coming? He took one vape hit, and he's about to go, man, we're lucky we're getting this interview tonight. We're lucky, because who knows what's going to happen after this. One more vape hit, that could be it. Right, but look, if you go throughout your life and you do, like, real dumb shit, like smoke shit off a tinfoil, or, like, maybe out of, like, a clog or something like that, Mm -hmm. or, like, maybe you smoke some weed out of uh, some bread at Texas French Bread when you work there in the walk-in with Patrick back in the day. (laughs) What up, Patrick? Then, you know, it's like... Yeah, my lungs are... I quit smoking like, I don't know, four months ago, man, but they're still like, It's probably from all the... um, Yeah, just Love Boat and Tinfoil and stuff like that. And then the cigarettes that you stopped smoking four months ago, they're still uh, trying to expel themselves. They're still... They go slow. It's like a slow train up out the lungs. Yeah, and they were menthol, so... Oh man, Biden! Like Biden can't ban them menthols fast enough. I'm gonna tell you right now, you want to ban something? Ban them menthols. I tell you what, ain't nothing good what coming out of that. that. I them, thought that they were gonna ban all them sort of flavored, flavored kind of stuff like that. Yeah, that's gonna take some time because there's gonna be people going like, "That's racist." But fact of the matter is, um, if I can't smoke marijuana the way I want to. Fuck anyone who thinks they can smoke that. That you know, there's gunpowder in these cigarettes. Sure, you're right. There's burning accelerants and things like this. The menthol, saltpeter. Part of what makes a menthol a menthol is you're going through the fiberglass. What's the last thing in the world you want in your lungs? Fiberglass. 
you go up in the attic, your mom's like, get, 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 come down from the attic. Cut. Nah, you don't want to be in there. All that, uh, that insulation there. No, it's no good. But Matt, like, what about like embalming fluid? That lovely. I, <clears throat> I lived in Houston for a long time and knew a lot of people who smoked the embalming fluid. They, they got wet. They got shermed out. Right. Things like this. Right. I never did it from a young kid even. I said to myself, well, you know, I, no, listen, I said to myself, that's what they put into you when you die. They put embalming fluid right. into you when you die. So why are you smoking that? And why are you running around naked trying to eat a, eat a turkey leg that's actually a human leg? Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> get off that shit, people. It's 2021. If you ain't learned to not get shermed out yet, I don't know how I can help you. Yeah, it's it's like the it's like a the the it presaged Xanax as far as like doing like the craziest shit you could possibly do. Like I knew a dude who took a state trooper's hat out of his car, put it on. He was shirtless, of course, just wearing a pair of like cut off jeans. Put the state trooper's hat on, and we're at a Seven Eleven in Southern Maryland. Mm. And the car, uh, the, the the state troopers looking at this dude. His name was Glenn. Some he was real wild. He was looking at him through the window, and the dude's out there dancing like. La, 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 wearing his hat. So we had to go out. Once we left that 7-Eleven, we, like, act like we didn't know him and shit. And they, yeah, they arrested him, man. And it was, from, he was smoking love books. Yeah, but that Southern uh, Maryland cop was probably like, well, another Tuesday. <laughs> right. It was about People two, Maryland about two hard, in the dude. afternoon. About two in the afternoon. <laughs> you're, you're from Pennsylvania. I'm, you're close enough, man. People in Maryland go real hard. Yeah, they do, man. Well, what brought you to Austin? It was a lure of my father. He said it, to go to UT is nothing. And at the time, I think it was like, man, it was like 500 bucks a semester or something. Mm-hmm. 91, 91, 92, something like that. Yeah. It was cheap. Austin was cheap. Austin was golden. Austin wasn't just cheap. Austin was like you went into the the taco place and you knew the dude. And he was like, ah, right, yeah, here you go. And nah, it's all good. Yeah. You go to the coffee shop, and like, yes, I'd like to get one of these coffees, and it'd be your friend. Like, oh, it's no charge, right? Because like, you knew how is this business? And, and the businesses stayed in business somehow. Yeah. <laughs> with, the with the hippie in the back giving all his friends, the, yeah, they everything stuck for it free. out for a good like thirty years. Mothers, all those places, man, where you would get the yeah. hookup. Mothers is gone. Mothers is gone, dude. I took some bands in there a few times oh. when I worked at Emos, man. Like some some vegan purists. And they Dude. loved it. They were just like, this is amazing. You've got a real gym here. I was like, yeah. yeah. For people who don't know, this is just in the past year. And I think it's beyond COVID because COVID definitely contributed to the loss of a lot of things here. But some of these classic Austin places, like Mother's was the vegetarian, vegan spot of all spots. Like there were other ones, but like Mother's was classic, incredible, right there off Duval. And everybody went to Mother's, man. Like they, they, had no real shortcoming of customers, man. No, and bands knew about it. They'd be like, man, I'm coming to, we're coming to Austin, um, you know, and I talked to them just random shit about food. If they were cool bands mm-hmm. that were doing it themselves, I talked to them about food buyouts and all that sort of thing, like, uh, you know, industry talk or what have you. But they'd be like, where can we eat in Austin that's chill and cheap and good and we're all vegan, you know? And this is like in the 90s, man. Yeah. And, and uh, 
it was mothers always, man. But that tamale house too. No tamale house. You can't beat tamale house. Diabolical. Before I get into the next question about you, I want to make the statement that in 1995, I went to tamale house probably because I lived here in 95 and I moved away. I was back and forth a lot, but in 95, it's when I discovered tamale house. And when you would go to tamale house, you get a big ass taco with whatever you wanted in it for 85 cents. I don't remember what year they closed, but say this is 2021. So let's say they closed 10 years ago. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 years ago. 10 years ago, you know how much those 85 cent tacos were? 85 cents. 95 cents. All right. They raised a dime in like all that time. They still just kept it real and the quality, the taste, that salsa never changed. They were amazing. They were such a Texas stable, an Austin, Texas stable. And they were the place for the punk rockers. The people in the streets, the people, the artists, right. the people trying to survive. You could go get a decent meal for a couple dollars at Tamale House and you were just welcome. Dude, I was with Brent from the Cherubs, the drummer from the Cherubs. And yep. we were at the Tamale House eating food. And uh, I was asking about a Party Owl 7-inch, mm-hmm. that band from Houston. And he goes, hold on, let's ask this dude. And there, out in front of the Tamale House, was a dude with a shopping cart who looked like a weird homeless dude. And Brent was like, hey, man, do you have a copy of any, do you have any Party Owls records? And he's like, yeah, I've got, and he just said what he had. And, uh, you know, that was just that, the kind of place that that was, man, where it was like, like, if you want to talk about something that obscure and weird and like Texas, somebody there would know it. Or you just see people that you knew from around that were just, yeah. Tamale House number three on the airport was... I had friends like Seeds of Soul, man. These are rappers from Texas, from from Houston, from outside of Houston a little bit on on the North Shore. And they were dope, man. Back in the 90s, like pre-95 a little bit, we would come up here for shows and it was always my spot because it was so cheap and you could get so full and you'd have like, I mean, back in the day, you would feel like now we, we were con- quote unquote sort of conscious more of our health. We want our vegetables, we want our fruits and stuff. But back then to me, it was like a bean burrito was, was more kind of healthy. <laughs> you know what I mean, like or get some beans with some tomatoes and things like that. You're at least getting some vegetables as a, as a youth. There's some lettuce. Yeah. Yeah, and you would go, and their salsa was amazing. Oh, my God. But you would go there, and you get these tacos, and they were so cheap and amazing. I'll never forget, the first time I took the Seeds of Soul there, those guys were like any time they came to Austin. Cosmos and Quam and Ano and them and Ghost, they were like, we got to get to Tamale House first. And Cosmos was like, them good, good tacos, man. We got to go. We got to go. It's so cheap. It's so good. Four dollars, you were fed, fed. Yeah, yeah, Back dude. And you could get a dinner. You could get like a whole dinner with like a taco, some enchiladas, rice and beans, a bunch of tortillas and shit for like three dollars. Mm-hmm. Like there was nothing over like four dollars in that whole place. Yeah, yeah, it was it was amazing. Those I, were the days, man. Tim Kerr and uh, and some other people turned me on to that place. They were like, like if you like Mexican food, man, there's a spot. They close at three. Yeah. You know, but they all open the at best. 6 a.m. And it was just amazing. All never... the best Mexican restaurants close at 3 p.m. Yeah. Now, you were mentioned about food buyouts and this and that. People probably have no idea what you're talking about. I'm but sorry. You're um, not only were you in bands out here, you were booking venues from forever. Like, what was the first venue you started booking here? Emos. Emos. 
What year was that? 95? 95 emos on Six and Red River. Yeah, 96, something like that. No, it was, it was later than that. It was like maybe like, I don't know, maybe 90. I can't remember. There was Big Justin was booking, and then Margaret booked there for years, and then she was like, <laughs> I'm moving back to Colorado. And, and uh, Emo, the owner, Eric Hartman. When it said, was real. Said, uh, he's like, man... He goes, you're real into this. You're real into all these records and shit. Because I'd get the press kits from record companies, and I'd be like, "Hey, Eric, dude, I got the press kit with the posters and shit." And like, I don't know what June of '44 sounds like, so can I have some CDs to listen to, you know, or whatever, or like whatever the band may be, you know? I mean, it's a lot to keep up with, man. At that time, at mm-hmm, any time, mm-hmm. you know, especially at that place like that where it was like you would have stuff that was all over the map. I mean. Not really all over the map, but there was a lot of like punk and indie and like alternative, like I don't know what you'd call it, man. Today's modern rock, but uh, <clears throat> you know, it was like I, we'd get press kits and he'd take all the music and I'd be like, dude, I don't even know what these dudes sound. I don't know what Pan Sonic sounds like. Really, mm-hmm. I've heard some shit, but I I want to listen to the record and everything. So, and sometimes it was a real blessing. Sometimes I got stuff that was like just budget like these dudes made this you know like a month ago like the dudes from high on fire sent me a demo they made that was the best thing i think they've ever recorded like all their studio albums and shit it doesn't like this thing was just blown out and amazing and every once in a while you'd find a gym like that you know but uh yeah email would take the music so i never knew what i was like and at the time i was still booking bands with a one of those big calendars, like H and H tire, of course, with whiteout, you know, and they'd call yeah. me and be like, you know, we've got this band coming in, and I'd have to challenge people like locals and stuff, and you know, it was a trip, man. Booking shows then was pretty easy at Emos because it was just like, if anybody who, you know, if they wanted to come here and have like a good show, they it was sort of like, well, yeah, go there. Like, like I remember booking agents telling me stuff like. Well, we'll just take them to uh, Liberty Lunch or uh, eventually Stubbs. And I was like, cool. All right. Bye. <laughs> like, have fun. The yeah. band will hate it. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot different now. And I mean, I'm sorry. Anyone who knows me and listens to my shit knows I'm a hater. I don't care. Any of the corporate shit, I'm a hater. Dude, <clears throat> there should not be. And I understand progress, quote unquote, progress. It's not progress, it's bullshit. I understand business. It is business. I understand all these things and how things become what they become. There should not be a fucking Live Nation-owned venue called Emo's. Emo's, was you just called Eric. You just called Eric Hartman Emo. He was Emo, man. That motherfucker's soul made that venue, plus your soul, plus the people in Houston, plus the people who really had soul. Yeah. Made that venue, man. Made that shit the shit. People cannot even understand how dope emos in Houston and Austin were, man, because that shit was like free for 21 and up and $5 for 21 and under for all the best bands of the time, man. I turned 21 at emos, man, like for a mule concert. Like I fucking was in that place. And now it's like, you can still call a fucking venue emos and it's owned by live nation. No, you can't. You can, but you can't because that's some bullshit. That is not what emos was. It's not what it is. 
Shout out to Eric. Shout out to everybody who's who held the torch throughout that time. I want to talk. I want to. The Scoot Inn's a fucking Live Nation venue too, and we're not going to get into that yet. We're going to progress into that. All right, man. Because we work together on a lot of shit with that. And uh, no, and when Graham was at at emos, actual emos, not shit Live Nation emos. My God, Graham transformed the yeah. scene. He was the dude directly after me. Yes, and you did a lot. You killed it, man. You did great. But when Graham came in, you know, you and I, you and I be, be kind of sloppy punks. And, we're, and older straight, man. But no, we're older, but Graham came in serious. Yeah, he wasn't fucking. Graham me. came in on a real level and made that shit incredible. And so, like, when I used to go to the Houston Emos, I saw everyone. Everyone. Yeah. I saw the Bornums. Yeah. I saw fucking. I hate Green Day. I never even liked Green Day when they were small and they I played. I saw them there. live. They were diabolical. They were great. Green Day. Yeah. I didn't like them. I didn't like really that that kind of cleaner pop punk sound. Right, right. But, but I was young band, and I was also a hater. I didn't like Polvo. People love Polvo. I love them too. See, there was a lot of stuff. So, but all those bands, man, all those bands, Laughing Hyenas played there. They, yeah. So much stuff, man. We played and, there. We played at the one in Houston. We loved it. That was a spot, man. That, we that, played with Janitor Joe and Hammerhead, and it damn. was a night of nastiness. Mm-hmm. There were about eight people there, man, but all those bands crushed it. They, mm. were, they were fantastic. It, it was like a, you know, like that's the kind of thing where like there's no one here, but these bands that you're playing with, they're openly challenging you. Yeah, you know, so you back in the day, it. back in the day, just to, I don't want to get too heavy into this sort of thing, because you and I, are just, we just going to have a natural conversation, but... Think about it. You booked bands that you heard and thought were good. If they had like a, like say they were on the cover of Maximum Rock and Roller Flipside or something. Tortoise, like, dude. Well, yeah, of course, yeah. But but if you say you say they were, you know, tor- here's Tortoise, a good example. We are saying you booked Tortoise, right? You didn't book Tortoise because you went on your fucking phone and were like, oh my God, Tortoise has 20,000 followers on Instagram and 5,000 zillion likes, and oh my God, that's how we're going to book them. No, you were like, this shit is raw. This is that shit. These players are, are incredible. I want people to see this type of music because it's really good quality. It was all word of mouth, dude. It was all... It was word of mouth. It was word of mouth for sure. David which... Yao was talking about how great they were and how he liked to go over there and smoke ganj with them and all that, and I was like... Yeah. Okay. So that helped, but it also became like, I have taste. This shit is good. Now it's like, you could be the most tasteful, taste-making person in the world sitting in this office, and you look at it and go, man, this band's good, but they only got 69 followers on Instagram. I can't book them. Right. Bullshit. Yes, you can. Because all the bands we booked back in the day had zero followers on anything social. They were friendless for the most part. They were just out there in a van trying to do it. And you yeah. saw it and you saw the work ethic. You heard the music and the music was good and you did it. Yeah. And that was that shit. Yeah. BFW Hall. Knights of Lepithius Hall. Some of the best nights you could imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me about where are you from? Okay, so I grew up well, I was born in Prince George's County, Maryland. I grew up there for a little while and then moved to Montgomery County, Maryland, which is like, I don't know, Beverly Hills and Compton. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you could compare the two, like even then, like PG was, was pretty tooth and nail. And now, I mean, I worked up there 
from like 03 to 08. I was a mechanic up there for the family business. And, uh, and PG County was real hardcore, man. I mean, it's like, it's Chicago. Like, it's like Beirut. And uh, <clears throat> it was real tough, man. D.C. has always been, you know, like you really got to, you know, be paying attention, man, because and not, you know, you just got to know what you're doing because it's, uh, <clears throat> you know, there's some random crime there that is just ruthless. And it's always been like that, you know. My parents always said, don't, uh, are you in the district? Are you going to see a band in the district? You know, they, they called it the district. Mm-hmm. The district, you know, and, and I don't know. I mean, yeah, I was going to all kinds of stuff when I was real young and lying about it and all that. But um, it was scary. It was always scary. Like, like just in the punk rock, like hardcore scene there, it was that scene was terrifying. Now, once you step outside the building, then there's like people on the street, you know, and it's like every time you went to see a show in D.C., it was always at some church. It was in, like, not your neighborhood at all. And you, you and your buddies are like, well, why are they throwing bottles at us and shit? It's, it's like, because you're in their neighborhood looking the way you do, talking loud and walking down the street and acting like dummies or whatever. And, yeah, it's like if, if they went to your mom's neighborhood, if all the people that were in this neighborhood went to your mom's neighborhood for a go-go in a basement in a church... What do you think would happen? I'm like, well, my mom and them would call the police. You know? Mm-hmm. They'd be terrified. They'd be like, well, there's a lot of black people here, and we're not used to that. So when you're a bunch of stupid-ass, like, goofy white kids who are like, we're going to go to this church in D.C. that's really not our neighborhood at all, and on top of that, just be all punk rock and stupid, yeah, you're going to get it, man. And, and you know, it took me a long time to, like, kind of wrap my head around that, that, like, I was like, this isn't your neighborhood. You can't come over here and disrespect people and just act a fool and break bottles and be all punk rock, you know, because you're going to see some show in the basement of a church. Like, you may get, you know, something very bad may happen to you just for being a dipshit. So, I don't know. It's uh, D.C. and Baltimore are both like that. Like, you had to be very respectful of people in their neighborhoods because that's the only places these kids could pull off these punk rock shows is renting these church basements and stuff. Yeah, and on top of that, though, man, I mean, straight up, <clears throat> it's all that shit. You're talking about how raw it was and how you guys went into these spaces and stuff, and I know you did. D.C. had one of the most, as far as musically, they had one of the most positive music communities you could ever imagine as far as punk rock came with, with Discord and, right. with, you know, the, the tsunamis and the you know, oh, yeah. those type of people, like the positive force, D.C. and yeah. stuff like Man, are you kidding me? Like, that's something we didn't know everything back coming, from, not coming from there, but we knew we loved the music. And we were like, wow, the unity of that is just amazing. But above and beyond that, there was, there was work, work yeah. to do to make it happen. Yeah. No, it was, it was, uh, you know, I went to a lot of shows at, in, in different churches or like, uh, halls. Like, I went to a bunch of shows at the VFW Hall and, uh, Bethesda, where, like, I saw the Melvins there. I remember going to see the Melvins in, like, I don't know, 1988 or something. And it was me and my buddies from Alney, Maryland, uh, Chris Gallo and these other dudes. And then the band Fugazi was there and Ian from the Nation of Ulysses. And that's it. Those are the only people there. And it was uh, the Melvins with Sleepy Labeef. Mm. I don't know if you know him. Yeah, of course. Why, <laughs> yeah. Was, why did that happen? 
Yeah, man. And 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 that was at the same community center where Hendrix uh, played first time in D.C. or whatever, or around Maryland or D.C. So, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was a trip. I mean, it was you know seeing the Mel I, and I found footage on YouTube of that show that the Melvins played. And it was a real weird, strange night. And the band like kind of had a freak out on stage and uh, did some, like, just, I don't know, band infighting or whatever. And I was like, yeah, it's us and Fugazi and dude from Nation of Ulysses. And we're watching these dudes at a community center with Sleeping the Beef. It was great. It was fantastic. Yeah, and I want to keep it real as can be. What the era we're talking about is not the era of the beginnings of Discord. We're not there for SOA. We weren't there for the no. teen idols. We're li- we're younger than that. We're young guys here. We weren't there quite for that, which was for sure wrong because that was the newest of the new. People didn't even know when we came into things. It was like, yeah, maybe you know, there's probably some people who were halfway tolerant about it because they they had an idea that it was going to be okay, but there was still a lot of shit like to go to Houston to the Axiom and I'm behind a lot. I'm young, you know, I'm young, you know, well, I'm behind like some of the people who are going to, uh, my brain doesn't work fast enough to remember all the old power tools or something. No power tools was later. We definitely went to power tools. That was some shit, but like, what was JR's place? The Axiom. Okay. Yeah. Like going to the Axiom was like venturing into a whole another world, man. It was not just, um, it wasn't just the ghetto. This was industrial wasteland. Yeah. And there were actually some houses there. Yeah. McKinney and Live Oak. It was like east of downtown. And there were people. There were neighborhoods and people who lived over there. Yeah. There were houses. Because Houston has no zoning. You know, so you could have a, some houses here and there. And people <laughs> and dogs a gun around. store and a. Not there wasn't no drugstore over there. There wasn't shit over there for. No, I for said gun store. <laughs> there was not a gun store there either. There was nothing. There was a bunch of houses and like big, where warehouses that did whatever they did, and uh, <coughs> man, I love shit Houston. was crazy. I love Houston. You know Houston, DC, places like that. The diversity, the realness, that's what kind of helped form the sounds of all these things. Like. These were not milk toast places. These were not generic cities. These were not generic scenes. So why did a scene like Discord come about? Out of necessity. Yeah. Out of necessity. It's like this is what we need, man. We need this positivity. We need this music. We need this energy release. You know? Well, there was a there was a lot of really um there was a lot of tripped out shit happening when I was like, you know, twelve years old on or whatever. Stuff like uh, they they were protesting at the South African embassy at the time. And, like, it was like, you know, Brian Baker and shit out there with the drum set. Mm-hmm. You know, with a bunch of other kids. Just kids, man. Like, just trying to shut them down. And, uh, man, it's, you know, as far as politics go, I don't know, man. But I remember seeing a lot of, like, Ed Meese is a pig posters everywhere. Or, like, read my teeth. I kill people. Maybe that's, like... Dead Kennedy shit. I don't know, but I mean, I remember seeing a lot of like posters of these, you know, people that were uh, in politics at the time that kids were just trying to shut down, you know. Mm-hmm. And then like with the AIDS epidemic shit as well, and like all that, 
I mean, there was a lot going on in DC always, you know? And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, who knows where the discord sound came from, man, really? You know, like it's, uh, it's weird because it's like rock music, but it's not. It isn't, but there was also like just way more than just a discord sound, man. Like there were so many sounds there and that's what was incredible about it. Like when Fugazi came out and they were like, Y'all need to quit slam dancing. Y'all need to quit. We're we're like this. Do a real dance, you know. And we're just like, what are you talking about? But then when you really listen to the music, it was like, oh, you know. Yeah, like 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 you, you know, you don't have to be like your parents or like you don't have to believe, you know, or anything about your parents, man. It was all new. It was like. Like, uh, you know, it's not cool to beat up gay people in the park. It's not exactly. cool to, to uh, harass the shit out of women. It's not cool to, you know, be a weird racist dick or whatever. Or like Man. tough guy shit, any of that, you know. And that's what's crazy to me because now I've got kids and I see what they're going through regarding what you just said. You know, like, and we were young. We were like. No, you can't. You can't mess with our gay friends. You can't mess with our black friends. You can't mess with this. You can't do that. You know, like Rad Richard in Houston. Yeah, man. Yeah, black punk for real. And this dude was the realest. Is is he's alive now? He's a, he is still the realest dude musically in punk rock. <sighs> he and I started a hip hop show in '92 <clears throat> on KPFT. You know what I mean? Like me and him like came up, but it was the type of thing where you'd be like. Why are you fuckheads, skinheads, fucking with Rad Rich? Rad Rich yeah. is one of the realest dudes on this whole scene, man. You know, so there was a lot of stuff we went through and dealt with that now uh, people, I'm sure people still get in fights. Things happen. And oh, what's yeah. worse is people have guns and people get shot more. People got shot then, but there's it, people aren't fighting like that anymore. You know, like, like, there's more like that punk rock scene. But, you know, I'm looking at all this stuff where I'm like, why are y'all still fighting for this? Because this should be over. And thank you for still holding the torch. But why are we still fighting for the same ass shit, man? Yeah, no, it's like it's like a it's like a, all this infighting when it's like like well, the whole idea, I guess, from the beginning was like what's us against them, not yeah. us against each other or whatever. Nah, you know? and what's fucked up now though with with Trump and all that shit, they fucked up everything because it's like us against them. Now it's the right wingers who are like, we're against the liberals who are fucking up everything. And we're like, hey, man, when I was young, I didn't know what a conservative or a liberal was. I was an anarchist and fuck anybody trying to fuck me and fuck my family and fuck my neighborhood and my city, which is our governments, our leaders, our corporations and all these things. We're like, man, fuck this. And then they kind of co-opted that, flipped it over. And I think, in my opinion, used Trump to make this whole facade of like, Okay, now we're the ones who are questioning things. The right wingers, the Trumpers, are like we're questioning this. We're the COVID and the laws, blah blah else and that. And it's like, bitch, you never covered, check, uh, questioned it before. No, but I think, <clears throat> I think all of that is like, like those people are just beginning to like sort of crest on being pedestrian, like as far as like yep. what I didn't know about that, like. You know. So what are we all about to come together? We're all no. Gonna, we're all, in, in like two, three years, it's all going to come together like, oh, yeah, we do have the same. Because honestly, this is the last thing I want to go to into a podcast with you. 
<laughs> but when it comes to the some of the Trump, some of the Trumpers are just racist nothings. They're yeah. they're nobodies. They mean nothing. They should be scraped off the bottom of a shoe into the sewer. But there are people who support Trump because all they wanted was someone different. All they wanted was someone different to come in. They don't understand that Trump was at Chelsea Clinton's wedding, and they don't understand that the Clintons were at Trump's third wedding. They don't understand that he's in the mix. He's not the guy that they think he is and who could be the person that... But he did stir the pot up. Right. But he he's not the guy that... You know, I want somebody who's going to come in and stir that shit up who's totally outside, who these motherfuckers never met, never heard of, and he's coming in like, I have a fresh perspective. Yeah, he... Trump um, had a different perspective to a certain extent on paper, but... He didn't have that fresh person. He didn't have that shit for the people. No, but he's a dick. And you remember, he's a dick from way back when, man. Like, I went to a bad kid's school. He's a dick from way back when. I remember going to a bad kid's school in uh, Silver Spring, Maryland, man. And they'd make us do outward bound stuff. We'd have to canoe and go rock climbing and shit. And it's like me and a bunch of drug dealer kids and punk rockers and shit. And they'd make us go and do that. Which is what we should be doing. And, uh, (laughs) you know. Put you in the river. On a canoe. Yeah, like, we had to do that shit. We didn't have a choice. And, uh, you know, like, at that time, man, we didn't, uh, we just knew that, like, you know, Reagan sucked. And then the, I don't know how many years after we had more and more, it was like, it went from Reagan to Bush Sr. And, like, it was just the same shit, Clinton, then Bush. Yeah. And if we wouldn't have freaked out about Hillary coming in before the whole Trump thing, it could have been Bush Clinton, Bush Clinton, but then they were like, all right, no, we're going to give him Obama. Thank you. I love Obama. Me too. But also, they kind of, I think they brought him in to throw us off because it, he brought them in to rile up the fucking oh, the yeah. people who are about to be ready for Trump, rile them up so fucking much. Just have them about to explode like it's just a firecracker that's just at right at the end of the wick. And then here's Trump. They're like, all right, yeah, we got it. We got what we need. Uh-huh. Well, I just never. It's understood. stupid. Everything is stupid. All this politics shit is a joke. But my question, man, is like, 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 no, really, why do you hate Obama? Like, you know, like, why? Where's, where's all this searing hatred coming from? Like, searing hatred. And then I'm like, oh, you know, it's like. Yeah, because you're racist. Yeah. But yeah. that being said. He is the best face for America. He is he was incredible, man, as far as representing us and stuff, but you don't get to be the president of the United States by being the most stand up person in the world. You just don't. And he couldn't and make you any have real to question moves, everybody, man. man. You have to question all this shit. It is crazy. But you know what? I don't wanna make this uh like we on we on KLBJ.com. <laughs> we out here on, on uh OAN network, you know what I'm talking right. about? We about to make a <laughs> Or what? You know, one of any of these things, man. No, it's not a political thing. We're going to talk about music. We're going to get into way more music talk and way more uh, rock and roll and punk rock and things like that. We got stories to tell. Oh, sure. You got that punk rock. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> we, uh, we may have gone off on a tangent, so why don't we play some Merzik's and I'm thinking Cast Down. That's fine. This Delicious. is a song by the American Psycho Band, your band, Mike. What's Cast Down about? Do you remember even? Yeah, man. Is there a meaning to it? Yeah, some emo shit, dude. Emo, like emotional, or emos in the in the club? No, man, not about the club. No, uh, this this is how we used to get them up in the club. We put we put on that <laughs> that cast down. That cast down will have emos uh, tripping. Now this was just a, a a joint that we just came up with, man. And then like 
I remember playing it for Lacey and Dana, these girls that Matt and I know, man, and, and they were like, what a lazy. One of them said, it sounds like, like a couple years later, years later, actually, they were like, it sounds like that song by the Foo Fighters. Uh, what? Yeah, the one where they had the Teddy Boys in the video. Man, that wasn't even Foo Fighters back then. I know, but that, but when that song came out, they were like, oh, listen, you sound like the Foo Fighters. That's what Lacey was <laughs> giving me a hard time about, you know? <laughs> Love you, Lacey Swangs. Our yeah. next segment, our next segment of the Toxo Real podcast with uh, Matt Zella talking to Mike Flannery of the American Psycho Band and more is sponsored by Angel's Tamales. We're going to have them de- delivered during this song. The next thing, we're going to be chowing down on some good-ass tamales. Saying. If we had cameras, you'd be able to see that. But uh, you're just going to have to believe us how them mushroom ones. I hope she brings some of that mushroom ones up in her. Hell yes, man. Remember that? Remember we beating them mushroom tamales? Oh, they were so good. Angel made some amazing tamales man. and some amazing rock and roll. Crying out louds and shit. She'd be out there. She'd be out there on the drag right right around that quacking bushes in the back. Yep. Back behind all that. We saw a dude get a, his ear bitten off out there when they were feeding him at the church, some crusty kids. It man. was raw as hell. Man. Good times. You kids only know so much. Shootings on 6th Street and things. You don't know about the ears getting bitten off on the drag and things like that. But we're here to tell you about that. Bring it all to life. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will be right back after this jam. Ah. It's talk so real, baby.
cast down a big hit single for the American Psycho Band. <clears throat> Out that Austin, Texas in the 90s. Mike, can you tell me a little bit about what we just heard, that song? What, what, what's that off of? What's, what's, what's it all about? That was a, <clears throat> sorry, that was a record that um, Lindsey Kuhn put out. Um, Swamp, I think was the name of the record label. He was a guy that made posters. He was a, um, he was like a, he worked for Kozik, I think, for a while. And then yeah, was just like a poster art guy here mm-hmm. in the 90s. And there was a handful of those guys that were doing really cool shit. And he did a lot of cool shit. He also did some very uncool shit. Oh, that, uh, yeah, that I'm not going to whatever, man. But, uh, you know, he, uh, he put out a record for us. He helped us go on tour. He made a lot of posters for us. He was just a, he was just a local dude that, um, was up in the mix, you know, and like during South by, he would have anti South by shows at his place. He spared it. Uh, he shared a space with Don rock on uh, Onion Street off of 6, like 6th and Onion. And it was a big warehouse where mm. they would do all the screen printing stuff. And uh, they would have shows there, and, and we played some good shows there. And, yeah. Is that over where that condo is now? Probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tell me about the beginnings of the American Psycho Band, man, because uh, <clears throat> you guys... You formed in Austin, right? You didn't form yes. in Maryland before coming down no, here, right? No, I... I uh, We're going to talk about your early days in Maryland. Right. Them groups. Right. But tell me about your, your beginnings here in Austin with the American Psycho Band. So I was working at Thundercloud Subs at Anderson and Burnett. Man. Yeah. And this is 92. Can, or... I, can, I, can I tell you one thing that people don't understand? Mm-hmm. Anderson and Burnett is the geographical center of Austin. Sleater Kinney. It's the geographic. It has nothing to do with Sleater Kenny. It's a geographical center of Austin, right? But what's it have to do with Sleater Kenny? Well, they're just cross streets. Okay. Well. So. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. I get you. But Anderson and Burnett, the North Cross Mall, was literally the geographical center of Austin. You never think about that. No. And I I remember going to North Cross Mall, and there was a record store in there, and I remember going in there one time, and it was probably like 1985, and there was an Agnostic Front like. You know, they'd have like they'd send you the promo stuff and you'd fold it over and mm-hmm. tape it to the wall or, or staple it or whatever and have like a little display. And one of them was Agnostic Front. And I'll never forget it. I was like, that's weird. They don't have that in DC at any mall I've ever seen. But up, Texas, up to the mall, <laughs> up, up to the Lake Forest Mall. I didn't see it up there, but they had it at that record store there. And uh, yeah, that was always a weird spot. But I worked there when I first moved here. Um, I left DC and I was like, man, I'm going to go down to Texas and start a band. And I met some dudes through the guitar resurrection. They had a wall with like little cards on the wall, like, you know, band looking for bass player or whatever. And I met these dudes and the, the thing said band looking for bass player into black flag, Sonic youth, um, some other just random stuff. And I called these guys and, uh, it ended up being Stephen Hall from 16 deluxe, the drummer. And, uh, Neil Bush from, and you'll know us from the Trail of Dead, as well as a dude named Stephen Kerner, who was in the Andromeda Strain, that were another local band that were great. And I just met these dudes, and they were like, we smoke a lot of pot, we live on Rowena Street here in Austin, and we watch Mary Tyler Moore all the time, and we have bands that we're in. And uh, and I just hooked up with these, those are the first people I met in Austin, and through them I met a bunch of other people, but 
the person I met, like I met the drummer because he had some drumsticks in his back pocket and he looked just like Paul from the Wonder Years. Mm. Way more awkward and socially ill at ease. And I was like, so you're a drummer? And he's like, yeah, I'm in these bands. We play at the rock local rock like bar spots like uh, Saxon Pub and uh, uh, at that time the back room and a bunch of other just random like rock, straight rock places. Not the Cavity? No, not the Cavity. Okay. And uh, he had some drumsticks in his pocket and I saw him out in front of my house on Avenue F and I was like, hey man, you play the drums. We hit it off. We started talking, you know, and we got together and jammed. And this dude... Uh, Jason J. Craze from the the, the oh, yeah. well, all right, yeah. all right. The whole the Jason Craze segment starts now. I Hello. was wearing a T-shirt at Thundercloud, and I don't remember what it was, but he goes, "Yo, man, are you into that kind of shit?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he's like, "What's your deal?" And I said, "I play bass. I just moved here from Maryland and shit." And he's like, "My roommate is loves that kind of stuff, and he's a guitar player. You all should hook up." So I met the guitar player Mike Chapaton through. Jay Craze from Sockeye, you know, and uh, what up, Hakim? What up, Trey God? <laughs> and then, um, and the drummer I just met on the street, and we started playing at the drummer's house. Um, and uh, then I saw Tim Kerr walking down the street, and I was like, this dude looks weird and familiar, but I was like, hey man, um, and I asked the dudes on Rowena Street, all those guys, like the Trail of Dead and 16 Deluxe dudes. I said, what's up with Tim Kerr? And they're like, oh, you know, it's Tim Kerr. He lives right near you. And I'd see Tim walking by, and I just went out there one day and was like, hey, man, what's up? I'm Mike. I just moved here from Maryland and stuff. And he was so stoked about that. He was like, he wanted to talk all about some D.C. shit. And I was like, yeah. So we ended up hanging out and listening to records and, like, you know, we, we jammed a couple of times, played music together and stuff. And uh, he just took a liking to the band, man. Like, we we sort of just got it together and we were playing in this dude's room with a bunch of mattresses on the walls and shit. And, uh, and Tim heard it and liked it and was like, I want to record it, man. Can Let's record. So uh, eventually what happened is, like, and this is, like, within the span of, like, six months, maybe a year, this dude, Brian Christner from... Uh, this local uh, straight edge band intent was like, I've got a record label. I'm putting out this Houston band refused to fall. And, uh, not my people. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. And, and then he's like, uh, he's like, I like you guys. Let's do a record. And, uh, and Tim produced a record and we went into music lane to do it. And, uh, it was real cool, man. And, and it was a hit. I mean, that first seven inch we put out was, was, uh, I mean, thinking about about it now, I'm like through the whole all the shit that I did with that band, I'm like, that was that was like the best shit we did, man, hands down. I mean, it just it was just uh, it was just real raw, and uh, we played with bands and stuff, and uh, like we opened for Neurosis at Emos mm. way back then, and Neurosis were like, give us some of your records, you know, like we'll take your records, your seven inches, and we'll, and uh, I was like. Okay, I didn't understand what they were getting at or whatever. And those dudes took our records and sold them and told people in the next like five shows they played about how great this band was they played with and they had their seven inches and you should buy one. And then we got a check from them. And I was like, neurosis is a, that's a, that's love. Yeah. That's man, how that it went down cool. though. That's how it really Word went down. Word of mouth, dude. So much information, man. Sorry. 
No, for real though. I mean, that's incredible. That there was no Facebook. No, or Instagram no. Listen, either. listen, man, listen, man. We get older, and people look at us. Oh, you're old. You're complaining about shit. Yeah, this Austin's amazing. You're complaining. No, you don't understand how live it was in fucking Austin because in Austin you did not have to do anything but step outside your house, take a walk. You met someone inevitably that was like-minded with you. This was this was not this wasn't even like an effort. This was just I'm going to go down to the, to get me a coffee. And this and occurred in nature. These people were just occurring nat- naturally in nature. in nature, man. And you just met this person who was like like it's un it's almost not completely explainable. Like you can kind of try to explain what it was like, but in this culture now where so many people are staying inside, not just because of COVID, because of the internet, because of they're looking inside their phones and okay, there's something to be said for being able to connect really easily with someone on Instagram. You can be like, Oh hi or oh hey, this is someone I want to connect with so I can send them a direct message and if they reply then maybe something could happen. Nah, man. Instagram for us in the days was real life. And Austin was the perfect setting for it. People see the movie Slacker. And I tell people all the time, like, yeah, that's what it was like. I didn't even live here at the time. I lived in Houston, but I would just come visit here and I'd have three new friends in a weekend. Oh, yeah. Like that I like like the next time I came up, it'd be like, I'm going to stay with you. (laughs) Okay, cool. Yeah. Like, cause you were just out in the streets, meeting people, hanging out. And it just was what it was. Or to go to a show, it was what it was. It was just this energy. Like Austin back in the, Austin does not have energy now. Austin does not have rhythm now. It does not. 2021 Austin, the rhythm is gone. The energy is gone. I'm sorry. I don't give a fuck who wants to fight me about it. I don't give a fuck what local person who has grown up and is older than me is going to be like, no, Austin's still amazing. No, there's cool things about Austin. You do not have that energy that flowed through. The energy, like, when you go into some hippie shit, that cosmic, like, the energy waves that go through the... And we all connect on this level of... Man, back in the day in Austin... That energy that you connected, it's just, you connected. It was yeah. not, you didn't try. Right. You woke up and you went out and there was a connection made on a real level through your heart and soul, as opposed to just being like, yeah, man, uh, how can you, how can you help me? Well, it was the kind of thing. If you saw somebody at the tamale house and you're like, did you make that t-shirt of yep. that band? Like, yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah, I still got the screen. Why do you need one? You know, like, yeah, like, and it was people would just jive off records and like bands and seeing bands and just doing cool shit. No, nah, it was too easy, man. You just showed up, man. Think about how you and I met. People don't know. In fact, I might, I might call Kenny. We may have to call Kenneth. We might have to try call Kenny. You can call him Kenneth. I'm gonna always call oh, him Kenny. Kenny. I'm gonna call that boy Kenny. Uh, Kenny Capello. Back in the day in Houston, he and I met up. We said we came to Austin together sometimes. We saw the Beastie Boys here, still living in Houston. I went, did I go? I don't know if you, I don't remember if you were at that show, but I do, what I remember. I was with Everlast when Beastie Boys played here. I was hanging out with him and Jason Lee, and I had no idea who either one of those dudes were. Yeah, because House of Pain and L7 opened for the Beastie Boys on that show. But I remember being here for that. But what I remember was 
Kenny, when Kenny first moved to Austin, because me and Kenny were supposed to move to um, the North Shore, which is way east, like 30 to 40 minutes east of like the center of Houston, depending on traffic. And it was just this house. And he's like, man, this house, we can live there for 50 bucks a month each. Our rent was going to be 50 each. And I think there was one other dude. I don't even know. I don't know if I ever met the guy, but Kenny had like one other guy. So we were about to move into a house house, not an apartment. A house in like, I don't know if it was Wallaceville or whatever. But it was in the North Shore area of, of Houston, which is east, like east of the Budweiser plant, man. Way, you know, far enough east of uh, 610 East, you know. Right. Like, and it was just, for me, even that young, I was like, a $50 a month apart, a house would be amazing. Like, I went over there and that motherfucker was already painting his room and stuff. <laughs> I was like, $50 rent is amazing, but. 50 minutes each way with no traffic whatsoever. You know what I mean? Like that's not worth it. I'm not moving all the way out. There's no way I'm moving all the way out here. Like I wanted to, I wanted to get out of, you know, my parents' apartment, have a place, me and Kenny and this other dude, we're going to have this place, $150 rent shit. But I, when I went out there a couple of times, I was like, Kenny, there's no way, there's no way I can live out here. And he didn't last out there very long either. He moved to Austin. And I remember I was going to come up to Austin. He's like, yeah, just stay with me. Yeah. You'll hear his voice. He does it better than I do if, if he answers the phone. <laughs> and uh, this is what happened was I came. I was like, yeah, I'm coming up. He's like, yeah, just come over. I'm at this address. West Campus. Yeah. Yeah. You guys had a place on yeah. 24th Street. And so I get to y'all's place and neither of you are there, but the front door is unlocked. And so, Dude, I didn't live there. He lived there with Kelly Kramer and Patrick and some other, and Jake the Jackal. And Rachel Schwartz. Yeah. And no, I swear it was you, it was Kenny. I swear it was you, I was just Kenny. over there a lot. No, Kenny moved in with me later at another place. Okay, but you were just over there at the time. I was just over there chilling. Okay, well, I go to this place and no one's there. But the door's open and I go in and I'm like, what the fuck, Kenny? When are you coming home? Where's he at? Da, da, da. The phone starts ringing and ringing and ringing and I don't answer it, right? And uh, the answer machine comes on. It's like, you guys said you're going to pick me up at the airport. And what the fuck, man? Where are y'all, man? What's going on? I'm here. Y'all were supposed to pick me up. I pick it up. I'm like, hello? She's like, who is this? I'm like, this is Matt. Um, I'm waiting for Kenny, man. I don't know. She's like, well, he was supposed to pick me up at the airport. And I'm just sitting out here at the airport. And this is when the airport was at Mueller, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that wasn't that far. No. From 24th Street, and I'm like, well, I'm just sitting in your house <laughs> waiting for Kenny. I can come pick you up, I suppose, right? And she's like, all right. I was like, what do you look like? She's like, I have a shaved head and a backpack. She had just man, got back from Man, how she look? Man, she look good, man. She look good than a motherfucker. <laughs> no, but I was like, she's like, I have a shaved head and a backpack, and I just got back from Europe. I'm like, oh, man, you just got back from Europe, and these fuckheads didn't make it to pick up, pick you up? <laughs> I was like, I'll come over there. I'm going to pick you up. So I pulled in front of the, the, the airport around, you know, the old Austin airport. Yeah. And I find this girl with a shaved head and a backpack. She gets in the car and it was like that. This is what Austin was like. Gets in the car. It's like, I never met you. You never met me, but we're friends. Right. It's nothing. You just start talking. It's like, all right. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, let's go. You know, we went back to the house talking shit. Kenny comes in. She cusses Kenny out and. Kenny's like, what do you mean? He's used to getting cussed out. Oh, always. All the time. And uh, Kenny Capello. Anybody who calls Kenny Capello Kenneth, you're, you're late. 
They're from New York. Man, you from New York, man. You tripping, man. Just just have it. You don't you don't have to have all that respect. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. But that was hilarious. I I know I met you that night. You were there. You did, man. And and you uh, were there in some capacity that night. You were there. I no, thought you I was lived there, there, dude. I thought for sure it was the three it was the three y'all. Let me place. take it way back. That night, I remember I was like who is this weird little dude who keeps talking to me who's wearing a stakes as high shirt? And it was Denver. Holy shit. Denver. Denver. Comedian Denver. Denver he, did he take my stakes as high shirt? Is that what happened? But he was wearing a stakes as high shirt. I don't know where he would have got that. I definitely had one. I think it was red, maybe. I don't know. But yeah, maybe he had a stakes as high shirt, sure. But yeah, like. De La So. Kenny told me that when he lived there with Kelly Kramer, that they were like. They had a bet who could go through the winter the longest without taking a shower and then and then hook up with a woman. And both of them did it at some point, and they were like, I don't remember who won or whatever, but I was like, wow, that is just disturbing, man. It was. You, you, just, you just killed it because it was him and Kelly. That's true, but you came in the mix that night. Yeah, no, I remember that. You for sure came in the mix that night, man. Where and, was uh, Kim Bennett? <laughs> Man, she was in Houston. She was around though, because she came over there one night to pick us all up. She's a big John Spencer fan. Hold up. Who you texting? Man, I ain't texting nobody, man. <laughs> he was a. Uh, <clears throat> <laughs> we call from mine too. We gonna try. We gonna try and see what happens. But uh, I do remember. I do remember it was Kenny, Kelly, and Rachel. I thought it was you. But there, no, there's this dude, Jake the Jackal, who's from, uh, like, he was from Alexandria, Virginia or something. Huh. And he lived there with him. And he worked with Kenny maybe at, like, the Waterloo Ice House or something. But at the time I came in, it was Kenny and Kelly. Please leave your message oh, for mom. nine All right, one. We're not seven, gonna we're not eight, gonna put six, Kenny. Four, oh, zero, two, I wanted eight, to, nine. I'm sorry, I was trying man, I was trying to get your number all off here, man, but it, it didn't work. It just it just went all the way, Kenny. I'm sorry. Man, I'm sorry, bro. Oh, we're gonna try to let me try one more time. Let's make Kenny understand this is an emergency phone call and get him to answer. He might be busy. He might be taking a picture of Aesop Rocky with his shirt off. He might oh, have Tyler. He might be like hanging out with Rihanna and uh, Helena Christensen or something. He might be beach. taking Tyler the Creator foot pics. Kenny, answer the phone. Kenny, this is important. See, wherever he is, it's. <laughs> Text him. Say this is important. Oh, I'm all. Please leave your message. Damn it. Ken, Kenny, 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 Kenny. Oh, he's messing with our whole concept. Our dude, whole concept. I, I hung out with a dude. Uh, he came, he was down here and he was doing something. I think he was filming some people at UT, like a basketball team or something. But um, we hung out for a little bit, man. Went out to eat. We went to the Yellow Jacket. It was, it was legit, you know. Had some drinks. He had his assistant with him, too. And his assistant, I was like, you're 10 times cooler than Kenny, man. What are y'all doing? You know? Well, I mean, you know, that's not hard. But, no, Kenny is, you know, he's a legend, man. Kenny's done all kinds of things. He's that's taking my pictures dude. of OMTs and 
OMTZ and blow Dude, even his pictures when I, I remember telling him, I, like he had pictures of like all kinds of stuff, like, like Rollins band and shit, all this, like, but they were great pictures. And I was like, dude, did you just like, it was kind of like, uh, you know, it would have been accidental, but it wasn't. And it, they were really good. And I was like, you should yep. keep doing this, man. He's like, you take? I was like, yes, you got to take pictures, man, because your pictures are fantastic. And I don't even think you know what you're doing, but they were great. They were really like, it was like a natural talent, man. I can't take a picture to save my life. I hate it. I'm like, no, just you do it. No, but he studied that he's shit. He's good. Man, Kenneth. That is messed up. You, 2021, you can't even just. He's taking pictures. Please leave your message for man. 9 1 7 8 hey, 6 don't, don't 4 0 2 8 9. K Dog, what's up? It's Jermichael. We were just wanting to talk to you on this podcast with Mad Matt. What's up? Hey. Man, we was having a couple of these drinks over here trying to make his a podcast, I'm man. Big, and we we was thinking shit about you. We was thinking maybe bring you in. You could you could clear up the whole situation about Denver. You know, when Denver went out Denver there Denver Smith, comedian. Denver went up against Bill Murray. <laughs> Denver tried to take Bill Murray out for the comedy cup. And then he had to fight that dude, Jeff Dunham, with all the puppets. Oh, man. You know, and that whole thing, if you're, you might be a redneck thing oh. and all these things. Oh. Blue Collar Comedy Tour. They was going to have Denver on it, but he declined. Man, did you fuck Denver off the Blue Comedy co- comedy Tour, man? Blue Collar Comedy Tour, uh, Kenny. Was that you? Who are you fucking right now? You can't answer the phone, Kenny Kelly. Call, him, call him Kenny Kelly from now on. No, Kenny Capelli. All right, Lisa Loeb looking ass motherfucker. We're going to hang up. <laughs> That's fucked up. Man, that is fucked up. Oh, I'm going to have Arvin call you next. You better answer him or he's going to come find you, Arvin, boy. Dog. Arvin coming to get you, boy. All right, thanks a lot. Thanks for ruining our podcast, Kenny. We got a whole plan. Bye. Who else are we going to talk about, man? Man, but I'm just thinking about those days, man. Man, what's up with that group Legionnaire's Disease from Houston? What do you know about them? Not a lot. Okay, I heard the dude, the singer, was a one-legged pimp. I do remember that. I do remember that, but I don't totally remember, like, all the details. That's a good front man for your group, though, dude. But think about it, man. A one-legged pimp in, yeah. like, 1978 in Houston? Shit. Yeah, no, those were the days. Like, those were, first of all, way before me, and also exemplary of I what... I was seven. Yeah, and also exemplary of what Houston was about, man. And it's still about, it's raw as fuck. You know, growing up in Maryland, when like whatever Texas band I heard about, I was like, what the fuck, man? Like, it, you know, you'd think like, you know, on the East Coast, it'd be all crazy and hardcore or whatever. And then you've got like the dicks. Legionnaires mm-hmm. disease, the stickmen with ray guns, mm-hmm. butthole surfers who I saw the, Rock Against Reagan on the 4th of July. You know, like, like, but just those bands were like, that was real, real outsider shit, man. That was some but, identify out with society But shit. let's keep it real. Texas is, is, it was more back then. I think there's all kinds of more pipelines now, but Texas was the pipeline, man, for the drugs. It, it was there. You could get it for a good price. Ecstasy was legal for a long time. Legal. I remember a dude asking me and my brother if we wanted some X-Peels in like the 80s. 
I'm going to call Kenny again just to be a dick. Hold up. We're going to let it ring while we talk. You could also call Kelly Kramer. Man. You want to? Call Kelly. He'll answer. <laughs> He'll be siced. <laughs> no, but I, I want to bother Kenny. I want Kenny to be thoroughly disturbed by whatever's going on right now. He's probably in a confession. He's probably in a confessional right now in a church trying to get his life turned around. And here's Matt and Mike calling his ass. Kenny, hello. How could, like, say you had a phone and somebody you know from way back in the day called you four times in a row. You'd be like, I'm picking this up. What the fuck just happened? Please leave your message for uh, 917-864-0289. Like, uh, or, or somewhere, man. Man, you don't even know the gravity of this situation, man. Kenny. The levels of uh, gravitivity and polarity. Kenny, you don't even know what we talking about over here, man. It's important. It's very important you pick up, man. Dude, Kenny told me shit like, and Buscemi told this dude, Brian Buscemi, also, a friend of mine from Houston, also that told me the same shit, which was, you could go to a show in Houston and it would be like Metal Bill, mm-hmm. Brian Buscemi, Rad Richard, and then like some other dudes, and then 900 skinheads. That yeah, were, like like like, I heard it. You know, like we went to see the Bad Brains. It was all skinheads. Yeah, while the Bad Brains are playing. You know, it's just that's that's baffling. You know, Houston was ridiculous because man, in Erie, <clears throat> when I was coming up booking shows and stuff. Some of the guys in the scene became skinheads. They didn't come in become Nazis by any means. Not at all. They weren't racist. They weren't Nazis, but they were like, we're the skins. We're into hardcore. Scene police. We're into hardcore and oi music and all this. And we were like, me and my, mostly me and my boy Mike and my boy Rich, we were just like, what? Why? Was it tough guy shit though? Like now we're tough guys. Oh, no, they were total tough guys. Yeah, but they were, I mean, I'm cool with all of them now. We're totally cool. But I'm like, but to be very clear, they weren't Nazis. No. But they became this group of people, and there would be fights, and there would be bullshit, and there would be bullying. I'm going to go one beyond you here. You mean a group of people that really sucked for the, the most part. But then became okay. They, they're all right. They're yeah, all right. years but, after. But to be honest with you, to be honest with you, that sucked to me. I don't know if they sucked all the way around, but for what I was trying to do show-wise and stuff, I was like, why, man? For what the fuck are y'all doing? And I got a radio show. <laughs> And we would just say the dumbest shit. Like tonight. Like right. like what we're doing now, but worse. And it became kind of an issue. But I was always kind of like, man, why do you have to join this group? Well, what? Yeah. Just it's, be you. This is punk rock to me was about individuality. That was the beauty of it. And we were in our high schools around all these people who conformed into whatever they conformed into. If they were heavy metal, if they were hip-hop, if they were jocks, if they were this, they were that. Are you talking about three-piece suits, cowboy boots, frosted hair? Yeah. Not, not where I'm from, no. But, but um, you know what I mean? Like, just that, like everybody looks the same. And yeah, they, they get into this the same thing. And the punks, to me, punk is do whatever you want, you know? And all of a sudden, we're like, all right. And they, we had guys that would tell, say at our shows, they'd be at a punk show, and they'd be like, we don't like that punk rock. Be like hardcore, and I'm like, so what? Like Black Flag, you know? What do you like? And they were like, no, and they were in a, you know, Gorilla Biscuits, this, that. Wait, man, tell him to answer the phone. 
All right, I'm on. What is what? Kenny just wrote to Mike. Phone. He said, "Phone blowing up, blowing up. I can't pick up the phone." Why? What's he doing? He said he's working. He's working it. Working on what? Were you taking a picture of Iggy Azalea? Snaps, man, of uh, Iggy Azalea. Yeah. Um, (laughs) You know, Migos. You know what I mean? Ask him, can he put the Migos on the phone? Say, look, put the Migos on for two seconds and, and, and don't hate your friends, man. And that would be great. That would bring everything full circle. We still have a lot to talk about the American Psycho Band, like how you got a single on Sub Pop. All right, so. And what were those songs? Man, that, okay, let, let me just put it in a nutshell, right? So Already. So, at some point, man, shit was kind of blowing up. I don't remember what year it was. I can't remember shit like that, like dates and times and all that. Anyways, uh, Tim Kerr was... I had kept sending records to certain people. Like he sent some to uh, Corey at Touch and Go and then uh, Sub Pop, man. And the Sub Pop guys really liked it. And they were like, we're coming down to see the Reverend play somewhere in Texas, maybe Dallas. We want to come to Austin. We want to see your band. You know, and Tim was like, they want to see your band and everything. And uh, and Tim hooked us up with a man. And, we, and I hung out with those dudes. Uh, I hung out with uh, Jonathan. Mm. Or no, John, I hung out Jonathan with Jonathan Poman. Yeah, no, I hung out with Bruce Pavitt. and uh, and he and we went to um, what's that barbecue place, man? The the you know it's overall like like a twelfth of Chicago or whatever, man. Uh, no, it's not uh, Sam's barbecue we went, on uh, on. Uh... Sam's? Yeah, yeah. We went to Sam's. He wanted to go to Sam's. So yeah, we go yeah. in. I was like, all right, dude. He goes, will you take me around? And we'll go to record stores and stuff and like go to Sam's. I was like, yeah. So we go to Sam's and I was like, I said, hey, Bruce, check it out. The only two 8x10s that are in here are Keypone and Boss Hog. And they were the only two 8x10s that were hanging on the walls of that restaurant. And for those of you who don't know, Sam's is like a, it's just a real legendary real hole in the wall barbecue yeah. spot. And also one of the realest places. And in fact, in the, in the zip codes of where it's at, mm-hmm. there's probably nothing realer. No, there's nothing like that over there. I mean, you got Franklin's and look, I love Aaron Franklin. Oh, yeah. I hated him for years. And then somebody was like, Hey dude, you know that he was a drummer in those Peabody's, which was a band I used to, we used to do shows with and everything. And I was like, Oh, that dude. So I'm okay with him, man. But Sam's was a real deal, like, just get down. The kind of place you'd go in at late at night, and the lady behind the counter would say something to you like, y'all boys been drinking, <laughs> you know? And you're all like, uh, yeah. But it was always good and cool, and uh, that's where dude wanted to go, man. So we went over there, and then he was like, man, do you know where to get mushrooms? I was like, not really, man, but, you know, we hung out for the rest of the afternoon and talked about records and shit. He told me about seeing Hound Dog Taylor in Chicago when he was a teenager and shit, and I was like, "That's that's amazing!" And just we talked music, man. We were real, we were really dorking it up. And then they were like, "Hey, we want to put out a record." Um, and uh, they came to see us. Actually, we we played. Both of the guys, both the owners, came to see us at Emos, 
We played a show with uh, Glorium and I can't remember who the other bands were, man, but my bass amp caught on fire and shit. And I remember I was like, we blew it. Like afterwards, I was like, these dudes don't want shit to do with us. And they were like, we want to put out records. So we hung out and uh, and they were like, yeah, let's put out a record. And then they sent us the contract, which was literally like a handshake deal just on a piece of paper. And it was real cool, man. And they sent us money. We went to the studio and I said, uh, they were like, we can do whatever you want to do. We can do the record cover, however you want to do it. We can do the record itself with, you know, like there was a little bit of capital there that we could work with. So we got Tim Kerr and Spot, who did all the SST records, to record the seven inch. It was just two songs. It was, you know, a single or whatever. And, uh, and Spot, we were in there, we're talking. I don't remember how it got brought up, but Spot was was uh he's real cool he goes do you guys he goes tim says you guys cover uh my war and we played it the black flag song my war and he's like yeah i produced that or whatever and then so we played it for him and he was like okay that's great let's stop today right now i'll be back tomorrow come in early so we get to the studio the next day and he goes these are all the black flag two inch tapes from uh my war the record so there's some of those songs on the B side that are like, he's like, it's two hours of this. It's two hours of this song or whatever. And, uh, and I was like, Hey spot dude, why does everything say acid mix? And he goes, Oh, because we were on LSD the whole time, all of us. And I was like, really? And I looked at Tim and Tim gave me the nod. Like, yeah. You know, like the time I asked him about fucking playing in, uh, San Diego with Battalion of Saints in Poison 13. And I was like, hey, man, what's up? And he's like, yeah, we got all our teeth knocked out and the shit beaten out of us, and we were all on acid. And I was like, even you, Tim? He's like, yeah, even me. But, uh, yeah, apparently my war, the Black Flag record, Black Flag record was recorded entirely on LSD. And, uh, and Spot brought in all the tapes, and he brought in the microphones he used for that session. He baffled the room the way they did it. And we just played it live, and he loved it. He loved it so much that he brought in some some shit that he wanted me to read in the background over the music. Mm. In the middle, there was a break, so I, 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 you know, it was stuff that was pointed and to Greg and 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 Henry and you know Chuck and all those dudes, and like just like the bottom line is, Spot never made. Um, I don't think he made any money doing any of those SST recordings. He never got paid for any of them. So we gave all the money we got for the record to, like, I'm sure Tim was like, I want a Ska CD. It's like four CDs. I think it's like 30 bucks, and I'll do the record for that. And we gave the rest of it to Spot, and it was like, I don't know. It was, it was a good chunk of money. I mean, it wasn't a lot of money, but it was enough, like, oh, fuck, thank you. You know, like mm-hmm. anybody would be like, wow. I mean, it was over $1,000 and under 10 So we gave that to him, and... and Felt real good about it, man. And he, we did a cool recording with him, and he's a, he's a righteous dude. And, you know, we got to hear a lot of stories. And it's just a trip being around both of those guys in the same room recording music and stuff, especially stuff that Spot had already recorded and, like, was just like, yeah, man, I can remember exactly what happened then. And I'm like, well, you were on an acid. He's like, yeah, but we made it happen or whatever. So last time I saw Spot was at a, um, uh, AutoZone, Vato Zone. He was buying Ooh. some stuff for a Subaru. 
So yeah. He's but good that uh, that acid back then was clean. He might have remembered all that for real. That eight way Santa window pane. See, let me have that. <laughs> let me have that. Man, let me have some of that right now. Yeah, I need to do a little cleanse of my mind state. You know what I'm saying? You know, well, Falls Church and My War, that was a single, right? Yeah, yeah. And Falls Church is about my buddy Rob, who uh, was a dude that I grew up with. He was a, like a hardcore kid who was, uh, he was just, you know, he's like 15 years old, but like six foot four and like covered in tattoos. So, you know, they were just like, they were street kids, man, but they were a lot of fun. And, and then dude died and it really tripped me out. And that was in my 20s, so I wrote a song about him. And that's what False Church is about. Man, well, let's get into that right now. You are tuned into Talk So Real with Matt Sanzala. I got Mike Flannery, that American psycho band in the house. We got music, talk, and all kinds of things up in this journey. It's a journey. <laughs>
Yeah. This is a process.
Mike, keep screaming, Mike. Good job, Sub Pop. American Psycho Man, Falls Church slash My War single came out. Who produced that? Spot. Spot. Mm, tell me about Spot. Spot wore, um, like, he wore Hooters shorts and knee socks that were, like, striped, like, green or yellow. Um, some cool Velcro running shoes, sleeveless shirt, no deodorant, and would love to corner anybody on earth to talk to them for like four hours about Jethro Tull. He and Tim Kerr fucking jived on Jethro Tull and some other shit too that I was just like, we're sitting there at the board, you know, recording the shit or whatever. And, and, and like something get brought up and, and uh, Tim and, and Spot, I remember them talking about Thick as a Brick by Jethro Tull for like 20 minutes straight. Mm-hmm. Just like, yeah, but like, you know, and well-versed, you know? And then they both were like, yeah, we, we didn't listen to rock music before we found out about uh, like punk shit or like we could just do this shit too, you know? And uh, they were like, yeah, Biscuit had long hair. Biscuit was a singer of the big boys. Uh, this is way before that, but he had a, a radio show at UT and he was a hippie with hair down to his waist. And uh, Tim was like, yeah. Then he shaved his head, like shaved all of his hair off, which nobody... Did that then? That wasn't a look. That was like you're a mental, you know, like a mental patient, or you're in the military. But he said uh, that they all really freaked out on Jonathan Richmond, and Jonathan Richmond was the thing that they they would laugh about it. They'd laugh about Jonathan Richmond. They put on the record and listen to it and laugh and fucking roll around the floor laughing. And then after a while, they were like, oh, "This is good. This is good shit, man." Like, you know, like. Tim said that they really, they really like connected on that that Jonathan Richmond shit, and uh, yeah, and he's like, dude, I think he said like he started playing the Big Boys when he was like maybe close to thirty years old, mm. you know, but they were old, they were older dudes, but they were like, I mean, Tim and Biscuit were, but uh, yeah, I was like, really, and they're like, yeah, man, we didn't listen to rock music at all, Tim said that he and Beth would go see, like, they saw uh, Led Zeppelin and shit in, uh, you know, Port Arthur or whatever in the early 70s. But, I mean, he's like, yeah, man, I graduated in 75. So, you know, by the time we were through with school and shit, we were, you know, in Austin just, you know, hanging out. And and he's like, it just kind of happened or whatever. And uh, and said it was like... I mean, it's fascinating to hear him talk about it because I'm like, I see pictures of Tim and Beth then, and I'm like, you look like fucking Dwayne and Greg Allman put together, Man. you know? And like hair down, you know, like really long, white, white hair, you know? Like this real hippie. And to go from that to what they went into is is fascinating, especially at that time period because I don't remember anybody in like, 1977, 78, 79, looking weird. If you saw a weirdo, you remembered it. You're like, remember that time we saw that dude with those pants on? You know, or whatever. Like, <clears throat> But you didn't see, people didn't look weird, man. Everybody looked like a Gap 70s, like, moment. You know? Corduroys, like, like you know, bell-bottom corduroys with some brown suede shoes that looked like a pair of baked potatoes on your feet and your featherback hair. You know, maybe you got a beard 
and those indoor outdoor sunglasses, you know. But I feel was, like I feel uh, like you're talking about what we just saw about about hour and a half ago up to the domain. We were up to the domain. Early. Man, they weren't they weren't looking that that cool, but yeah, they 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 tried, man. They tried to go back to that. They tried to get a right. They try so hard, right? And you have to give people an E forever, you know. But but sometimes it's so over the top that you're like, it's over the. You throw up in the bathroom and you just come back to your seat at the bar and hope that the bartender loves you and wants to give you a, a, a beer again. Because like you're not going to spend the $8 on the beer. You know what I mean? You're hoping that they're going to hook you up for, for a good one. You were talking about a dude earlier that had like a Ramones, like a Didi Ramone, like straight up chili bowl haircut. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, man, if we saw a dude like that today when we were out there at the domain and like we were just walking to your car or whatever. We saw a dude that looked like that, like a, you know, chili bowl haircut and like some like weird, like just like a awkward Larry Bird kind of dude. We may single him out and be like, what's up, man? What are you doing here? <clears throat> and he's probably, you know, like, well, I work here. I do the whatever. I fix the gates that let the parking garages open or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But like, like what I mean, what I'm trying to get at is, if I see a dude that looks like that on the street, you know, like, oh, you look really socially ill at ease, man. Awkward. What's up? You know, like, yeah, you're my people. Or if I see somebody fucking with somebody who's like, you know, awkward or whatever, like, yeah, I'm going to have to like, I'm going to have to step in, you know, Mm -hmm. like, it's sort of like that, that underdog thing. Not like, Oh no, he's cool and ironically the underdog and and like you know it's all the right shit and I, you know like oh you look real cool man no I'm talking about the real actual like freaks man that you're like yeah oh, look at this dude like I'm backing those people always man yeah but that's the thing now you back them and you don't understand that they're um, Extreme Trumpers and also want to smash the Chinese Communist Party and things. They have, they look punk. They look, they look real. No, I'm talking about that. that I was talking about, about like the Ramon look. Like, if you owned a liquor store and you were like, I Man, that liquor right store off Far West. The liquor store off Far West has a fucking sign that's like the biggest enemy to the United States is the Chinese Communist Party. I'm like, man, I'm here to buy some liquor. And I know for sure that no one in here knows anything about. The Chinese Communist. I know you have. You are not. You are very ill-informed. Fuck the, the Chinese Communist Party and fuck the American government and fuck all these governments. Fuck this. I'm an anarchist. I ain't QAnon. I'm not a uh, one of them motherfuckers. But uh, fuck all these people. I, I went in the liquor store. And my liquor store in my neighborhood has a sign that says the biggest threat to America is the Chinese Communist Party. Man, you talking about Chairman Mao? Man, what, quotes what he, from what Chairman he, Mao. What he doing? I don't know. I've got a book of his quotes. I don't There's a lot more it. threats to America than that. I tell you what. Yeah. Dumbasses. But uh, you know, we we come out here, we get on the mic, we try to podcast, talk about this music. We just played the uh, Sub Pop Seven Inch that came out for the American Psycho Band. Do you know, an uh, Austin band had a single on Sub Pop. Dude, what's dope is that you're actually doing. We're actually doing this. Like, like I've talked to like a handful of people on radio and shit. Like. One time we went to Rice mm-hmm. in Houston, and we, and we talked to this K-T-R-U. girl. Are you? Yeah, we talked to this girl for a while, and you know, and then she played her records and talked to us and shit. And she was like, she was real fucking. It was great. It was fantastic. And I did that in Baltimore with this uh, 
this hardcore band I was in a long, long time ago, and uh, we went to meet. Was this- that was that your extremely aggravated days, or was that before that? That was before that. Pre with- that dog, we're talking hard as nails band. Man, that was hard as nails. Okay, yeah, I, so I, we I remember went- that. I remember that when you when y'all was was out there like that, Merlin. Check it out in Maryland, in Baltimore. And DC, I want to say they had competing women that that were DJs like at like from like six to midnight, and both of them were like, "What's up? You got uh, Sally here, DC one hundred and one. Next up, we're gonna hear a little Toto or whatever." But then the girl in Baltimore was like, "What was her name?" She was on ninety eight Rock, and she was like, "Yeah, fuck that bitch in the district. She ain't shit." This next one's called Holy Diver. By RJD, mm. like she just played hard shit and it was Holy like rocking. Diver. Every once in a while, she she thrown a little white snake or, or this and that, but yeah, she was like she had to, she had to keep her job. But she was like, no, she was a personality. Her name was like Sarah or something, like on, on ninety eight rock. But she went hard, dude, and she played like all kinds of shit. And she would do like dedication. She'd be like, "Sad wings to, of destiny goes out to uh, Lenore, Ronald, Donald." <laughs> And all those other people out there. And, uh, if anyone has tapes of this Dundalk show, I Merlin. want that. I want that. I want that. If you live off Hollabird Avenue and you want to hear a little bit of uh, Jafria tonight, we're going to play it. <sighs> yeah, I just did that. I did it. You had to go to Jafria, man. Shout out to Greg Main already. You know, um... Ambrosia, fool. We're, we're probably not, you know, after all the American Psycho Band stuff we played Enough. today, I don't think it would be, I don't think it would be proper to play Ambrosia. You know what I mean? Oh, I don't man. think we should get into Ambrosia. But I do want to ask you, because we are going to wrap up soon. You know, we get to like the two hour point of a podcast. And, and I only do this because I personally don't listen to three hour podcasts. I don't. But two, two, we're going to make it through two. All right. Let's talk about the late period, Mike Flannery, and what you've been doing. What I love, I love you. You're my brother, man. And uh, I've always followed you, and I've always loved what you were doing. I know you keep it real, but in the past few years, minus the pandemic, but before the pandemic and all that, you were booking a venue called Kick Butt Coffee. Yeah. Now, Kick Butt Coffee, a bunch of snobby-ass Austin cunt bitch fuck men I'm not calling the women. I would never call the women here cunt bitch fucks. I only call the men here cunt bitch fucks because they suck. Talk shit about a place like Kick Butt Coffee just because of the name, just because of what it is, where the location, because it's not downtown as if downtown. Downtown Austin is the worst place in the world. I would rather live in a place where nuclear bombs never stop dropping. I'd rather have to be in a place where I hide under a rock that doesn't, explode from nuclear bombs and it's the only two by two place possible to survive like philly uh, yeah like well i would rather have nuclear bombs dropping all around me than just go to downtown austin because fuck downtown austin except for flamingo canteen <coughs> i like flamingo canteen and i and i have friends who have bars on that are fine okay fine 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 but kick butt coffee man you were the austin spot you were the only place, besides house shows, <coughs> there was that warehouse place that moved around a bit that ended up behind Callahan's and all this and yeah, that. Yeah. Okay, there's places that were booking new bands and punk bands and the kids. But Kick Butt Coffee was a fairly central place 
that wasn't downtown that gave the kids a chance. The punk kids, the hip-hop kids, the electronic kids. You had David Murray and Cahill Elzabar in there. You had Kill Keith. You had some cool shit there, man. You gave the people a chance, and that was that was a risk. That was something that Austin was not doing, taking that risk on new music like that. Tell me how you got with Kick Butt Coffee at the time and some of the shit you did over there. Man, I <clears throat> I knew it as a shotgun shack, and I'd gone in there one time once, and I don't even remember what year it was, but they had an open mic, and they had a little stage right up front, and it was just a shotgun shack. It was just one long room. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there were some dudes in there rapping and, like, you know, people waiting, queuing up to get on stage and play or whatever. And I was like, huh. Years later, my girlfriend at the time was like, hey, man, I saw this ad that Kickbuck Coffee's looking for a booking agent. And I was like, huh. Okay. Well, I, I checked it out. And then uh, and somebody was like, have you been in there? I was like, no, man. And they were like, dude, it is a giant, awesome fucking room now. That dude built a whole room on the side of it, and he has no idea what he's doing in there as far as getting bands in there and shit. So uh, I went up there, man, and checked it out. And at the time, he had, like, he had a lot of residencies that were cool, but it was just shit that was, like, not, it just didn't work on Friday nights and stuff like that, man. And, uh, and I was like, look, dude, here's what we're going to do. Trust me on this. I'm going to reach out to all these people I know. And I know a lot of people from booking bands and shit at like the scoot or emos or whatever, all that shit. Shit. We didn't talk about the scoot, but whatever, man. Yeah. Much brother love. That was some shit. That was great. Um, but like fucking, uh, you know, at kick butt, man, it was my own room. Finally. I wasn't at root anymore. Like fucking having to deal with shit or, you know, whatever the case may be, whatever room I didn't have somebody leaning over my shoulder. It was like, okay, so let's see what you can do. And the first big show I had in there, man, was those, uh, <clears throat> that group that you knew that live in Vietnam. New fame. New fame. And, uh, and. Adrian Mac Davis and, uh, yes, Felicia and, uh, Cruz. and my man. And I think, I, th- I want to say, uh, like my man Peter was on there, Peter Cleary and, uh, his wife's group, uh, was it OTC? I can't remember. They were like a they were like a hip hop group. They were great. There was a bunch of shit I did in there, and we we crushed it. And then from that, I was like, man. And I reached out to some punkers, man. Like you know, just people I knew that were cool, that I knew mm-hmm. were cool, that I know I could count on. Like, look, it's a space. It's cool as shit. No one's gonna hassle you. Can play in there, and. And I told the owner. And man, they didn't charge an exorbitant production cost. No, there was no production. No cost production at all. cost. That was a that was big the selling deal. point, man. So you could come in there if you were like you could be nobody and come in there if you brought fifty people in there, then you made fifty bucks if you charged a dollar. Like we didn't touch anybody's money. No band's money got fucked with at all. It's your money. It's your room. We will take the drink, you know, whatever we get on drinks and all that, and. That's some emo shit, man. That's where I figured that shit out was from from Eric Hartman being like, no, dude, if your bands are good enough and they're killer and you're, you know, and you've got enough hype going, you don't need to charge a cover. You know, it's free. And then people are like, it's fucking free. Yeah, it's free. Free gets the people in the door buying the drinks. It makes the $4, $5 profit on every drink. Right. You don't have to be a fucking freakish pig and be like, we need the cover. 
also a service charge, and then a dollar goes to these people, and then this and that, and eventually the band gets their money. Mm-hmm. No, it was really cool to be able to tell people, I'm not going to charge you shit for sound. It's the only way to do it. That is the only way to do it. It's like, And it's the only decent way to do it, because it's hard enough to get people to come out, period, man. But like to charge them and tax them on doing it, you know... And then they'd say, well, we want to bring in our own sound guy. And then that's a, another headache and shit. Even if their sound guy's fantastic and I know him or whatever, it's still like, man, you know? So it's like no, no production costs at all. You know, we'll help you. We'll do what we can. Like, and the owner was real cool, man. He would match people like, uh, like, uh, you know, people that were like, I have a very specific crowd. Like uh, what that rapper man from uh, I think it's was... can't remember his name, man. Um, but anyways, it was just like, look, man, I have a very specific audience. I know who they are. Give me, you know, match me on this, and I'll send it out there, and people will come out. And sure enough, you know, I did a lot of really cool shit in there that was like, yeah, like like doing these dudes, man. That 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 That's was a, uh, kills Bart and David Murray. That was a real feather in my cap. Legendary man. jazz. Yeah, no, it, that was insane, and it was so fantastic. And I'd seen them maybe a year or two before at uh, the Indy, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh wow!" And so we well, would sing a heel with the Ethan Harris ensemble, and then you had the opportunity to bring a heel Elzebar and David Murray. Yeah, and David Murray was great. David yeah. Murray's legendary. I will never forget Gerard Causeway, like tweeted or put something on one of his social medias, like. I don't know what world I'm living in right now, but I'm going to this bar to see some, like he was going to some out there bar to see somebody. And I'm going to go see David Murray and Cahill as a bar at Kickbutt Coffee. What world am I living in? And I'm like, Hey man, you're living in a world where a bunch of fucking shit. Sorry. People that I love in Austin too, but people who aren't going to take a fucking risk in Austin, they're only the slaves to the agents slaves to the shitty most horrible people in the industry, the agents. That's what these companies are. They're slaves to the most devilish pieces of shit in the industry, the agents. Oh, yeah. And they're like, they're only going to do what the devil agents are going to do. So we had no choice. It had to go to kick butt. And kick butt was like, Goring was like, all right, we'll take a chance. Yeah. And you know, first of all, you were like, yeah, we want to do this. We're going to take a chance. But then Goring was like, okay, we'll work on it. And, uh, you had David Murray and Cahill as a bar and kick butt coffee. That's like almost like a classical music on, uh, that's jazz, but it's almost like a, uh, symphony orchestra coming in. Don't man explain all me mad about Art Blakey's people and all this, man. No, I'm yeah, saying, no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm saying, man, I'm that was like, to, and you, you had some that I would shit love that up in shit. there. I knew you would love that shit, but I was like, man. And I didn't care if we took a bath butt. on they, it. And you know what? They couldn't have went anywhere else. No. Cause Austin fucking sucks. It fucking sucks. And people like like Austin the idea of going sucks. downtown, man. I'm like well, Austin sucks. You better bring your hammer. Austin can't do shit but suck agent dick. Yeah, no, it's it's awful. Austin can't do shit but suck agent dick. Yeah, no, it's bad. And I'm gonna get in trouble for that. And I don't mean I don't hate that. I'm sorry how that sounds. But the agents who have this thing, they can't do shit but suck agent dick. That's nothing. Most of the people here can't do shit but that. And then they are fighting to suck the dick. Well, dude, they are I... fighting. And back in the day, it used to be emos, a company, and, and uh, 
and, and Live Nation, they'd be like, oh, we have to do this. And then Live Nation took emos. It became even smaller. Yeah. It became even smaller. So it was just like, we're going to get that dick in our mouth. Yeah, well, it's just, it's, well, it's just taking that was the name, that. man. It's like, huh? it's just taking the name and just being no, like. No, it was because agents, the agents are the most disgusting people in the industry. Oh, dude, you don't have they, to tell the me, agents, the, the agents are the most disgusting people in the industry. You have to take this or you don't get this. The agents are the most disgusting people in the industry. And they, this city is too small for that. Yeah. So you got a few promoters who can buy for that dick in the mouth and they take it. Yeah. The ones who win get it. Yeah. And that's a horrible way to say it. It's just a horrible way to say it. And I don't mean that. I don't I don't mean that in any way other than to insult the people who have no creativity and have to suck the agents. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. There are and then there are people here who there are people here who work are great, with dude. the agents. They do work with the agents to make some things happen. And they don't take the abuse that the agents inflict upon them. Yeah. But they will take it if they can get it. If it's not abuse, they'll take it if they can get it. But it's like, man, that is not the only fucking thing you need to get. Find the music, find the great shit, and yeah. make it happen because that's what fucking Austin was. Austin was where the bands would play and you'd be like, oh my God, a bunch of people came out to this shit. Or, oh my God, no one came. Right, or I had it no idea what, what I is. saw. It is what it fucking yeah. is. But when you live in this fucking piece of shit city where the rent is so expensive. Well, you have no Anywhere, choice. anywhere. Yeah. You can't do anything except to suck it to make money. Yeah. Austin sucks. Well, Austin uh, ruined itself. But Niederwald is still available. Who Niederwald? <laughs> But, dude, it's like... No, a- but I'm saying, you know, no, 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 no. Everybody, I mean, come on, man. Back then, it was so amazing. You didn't really have to worry about that. It was like, my rent's this, my house is this, whatever. You want to play? Yeah, play. Dude, we love that Cavity Club, man. That was the shit. shit. I saw Gigi Allen there. I saw the tree people there. I shit. saw Beat Happening. I saw I saw all kinds of shit. Uh, and that was there was no security. People lived in the ceiling. There was a PA in there, and it was a room. You were the security. Whoever was having to be in the yeah. that's that section when it happened, you had to fix it or not or run away. Yeah, I met some. I met some like some of the old old guard. I remember this dude, Kevin from the Cherubs, goes, "That dude you were just talking to." I'm like, "Yeah," and he goes, "He was the worst. He was a skinhead here. His name's Roger Elbow." And I was like, "Okay." And this is like '92, and he goes. He used to terrorize the fuck out of us. He's a totally nice guy now. And the dude was talking to us about Led Zeppelin. But Kevin from the Cherubs, who I met at fucking the Cavity Club, just out of the blue, was like, you know, this is how long ago it was. He goes, yeah, man, you know, I'm like I've been trying to turn my parents on to cool music for their entire lives. And he goes, I think I found it with the Cocteau Twins. Man. And I was like, the Cocteau Twins? And he goes, yeah, I bought a Cocteau Twins record for my parents for Christmas. And I was like, that's dope. And he's like, yeah, you should check my band out. And then I went and saw his band, and I was like, Oh, this is great. Yeah, the chairs are the shit, and Kevin is one of the realest examples of real, real Austin realness. Uh, and I met his dad. I met his dad ran oh, really? the street in Marfa, and I bought his book. Yeah. One of his books. Please. Yeah. Man, all right. So we are approaching the two-hour mark here. Our, our, uh, I can't stop head running, dude. I can't. What you, what you want to talk about, doll? 
<sighs> I was going to play a song. I don't think we played Powdered Milk yet. <clears throat> That's the B-side. That's the other band. That's a split seven inch. Shit. Bam. Well, thank you for telling me that because I'm just going around downloading things like trying to find what's Ice Queen. That's the song from the Live at Emos thing. Yeah, we haven't played that. Play that. That's about that Kim Bennett lady. Man. Not, how- a, not about her, but she was the reason that I was like, you know, that I said, Boss Hog, there's a band that sucks. Get that on the tape or whatever. Because she wouldn't shut up about it that day. All she could do was talk about um, Boss Hog and this and that. But I'd seen the blues explosion and I was like, <clears throat> man, you kind of can't fuck with Judah. You, you can't fuck with Judah Byer live. Nah. At I mean, all, Blue, so I was Blue like, "Explosion was dope, though." I love Boss Hog too, man. I, and that's the thing; it's like Black I said, that, nah, 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 I fuck with them, man. I fuck with Pussy Galore. Nah, I fuck with all them groups, and they're also from the district. Yeah, and shit, man. Yeah, Boss Hog was some shit. Chris, but, Christina, how she look? Man, what up? I, I I got my subscription to Us Magazine to this day. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know she worked for Us Magazine. Really? Yeah, she was a, a executive up in the Us magazine. <laughs> Man, so I, when I met White Zombie at DC Space, they played for like 20 people. They were like, yeah. we do layouts for, I think it was Jugs magazine or whatever. No idea, no. It was a pornographic magazine that they were like, yeah, we do like layout shit for that. That's what we do for No, but Christina for sure worked for Us magazine back in the day. Yeah. That's the one that got away with me, Man. Man. Look here, John Spencer. No, but I do remember a lot of things. Uh, I still don't think Charlie's. We dead. were supposed to call Denver. <laughs> I think call Denver. We got. We have. Um, hold up. Call Denver, man. <laughs> do you need to hook this up again? Wait, no. What's his number? What's his number? His number is. Uh, did you pause it? There ain't no pause here. What's his number? 310. Yeah. 869-5039. All right, we got... You should get a photo of him, too. We got about 10 minutes. Hello? Hi, Denver. Listen, we're here from the National Association of Austin, Texas Expatriates, and we want to know how you feel as though your life has improved after leaving Austin, Texas. Do you feel as though getting the fuck out of a city like Austin has improved your life or was it detrimental to your grind and what you have been trying to do in life? Can you give us a synopsis of that within the less than three minutes? That's a lot, man. Stakes is high, fool. Stakes is high, Denver. What's up? Well, I'm I'm here in in Los Angeles. Oh, Uh, we'll call. I want to live in Los Angeles. All right, go ahead. I'm going to sit up by my my pool. Oh shit! You have a pool? Yeah. You're telling me and Flannery we should have done comedy, man. Tom Segura, shit, right there, fool. We could have pools and shit. You got to pull totally. off comedy? More or less. Uh, not because I made a lot of money. No. Why? Because you're, you're, because you're good, dude? Because when you were here in Austin the last time you were here, dude, you were like diabolical. And 
this, the the one that like really fucked me up was that James Edward almost like like that just blew my mind. You were fantastic. You're real funny, dude. And I'm not bullshitting. Sorry to put hey, you on the spot. Hey, audition for a, they just opened the comedy club back here, and I uh, auditioned for a comedy club, and they said I was pretty good. So hopefully, I get booked on some more shows. Yeah. Well, we're glad that it went good, Denver. Can you imagine? Yeah. Can you imagine Kenny Capello not answering a phone call from Mike Flannery? Can you imagine him just saying, "Fuck it, I'm not answering Mike's call. I don't give a fuck about Mike has to say." Can you imagine that? Well, I I kind of know him, so yeah. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Actually, that was a trick question, and you fell right into the correct answer. Yes, we kind of know him, and yeah, we do understand Kenny. So, D Dog, man, what have you been doing lately? Like, have you done anything like nutty we should know about? Um, we've been doing a radio show that's on in Portland, but it's like a guy who used to do a show in Austin, a like public radio show. It's called Self Help Radio. Is it through K Records? No, it's on a, a radio station in Portland called K Boo K B O O, and it comes on late at night on Monday night. And I just have been writing and performing comedy bits for them. Like little radio theater kind of stuff. But sometimes more just, uh, sometimes I make a character and sometimes I'm just myself. Bringing joy to the PDX. Yeah. ATX doesn't want joy. ATX doesn't want joy anymore. ATX just wants you to put the money down. We don't care if you're funny. (laughs) You ain't tripping. Yeah, you're not gonna get a free taco out here anymore, Denver. That's all I gotta say. You wanna go get a coffee? It's six bucks. No one's giving you a coffee. I'm gonna tell you that right now. So Denver, am I allowed to tell the story quickly about uh Gumby's Pizza and Cane and Abel's? Well, I don't I know understand the Cane and Abel's part, but remind me. Okay, I loved Gumby's Pizza and I loved when you worked at Gumby's Pizza. Just let me say that. I heard a story that you pissed in like a pint cup, went by Cain and Abel's, threw it on some dudes, got back in your car and drove off and delivered some pizzas. And this was like when you were living here, obviously, but I mean, it was a long time ago, but I can't remember who Man, told me that. That was the 90s for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I worked there for a long time and it's possible that happened. I can't say I remember it. That's why, dude, it's possible that happened because you know I might well, do some you know, shit like we're that. We're politicians. We're we're not quite as bad as Kenny Capello, but we're not gonna just admit to it. <clears throat> who the hey Denver? Do you remember who lived on that house on Twenty Fourth? Was it was like Kenny Kelly, the Jackal, and was uh, that it? And, and me and Patrick lived across the street from him. That's right. Or, That's right. You did uh, live across the street. That's where I met we that. We shared dude. a bathroom with the Jackal. I think. Yeah, dude. That's where I met that dude from the um, Monster Truck 5 at your house at a party. Yeah. I, they were talking about that party, like, on Facebook. <laughs> dude, somebody, this girl I know from Ohio said that guy died. The singer? Yeah. Danny, Danny Ray Texas? No, not Danny Ray Texas. No, that's the Nipple 5. This band was called the Monster uh, Truck 5, and the singer I met... Oh, at, yeah, you, yeah. Yeah. He worked at Gumboos, and he was from Ohio. Yeah, yeah. that dude. And I One time... You weren't with us, but we went on a long trip to New York, and um, we stopped in Columbus and saw him. He had moved back there, and I guess like that band was kind of well known. Yeah, man. 
I just knew him from working at Gumby's. But he was a cool guy. I can't remember that guy's name. Yeah, but this then, girl yeah. I know from Columbus was like, yeah, he died. He was one of my friends. I think she was like a roommate of his in college or something. I don't remember. But I remember meeting him at your house, and I was like, and that's right, you live with Patrick, dude. And I was like, Denver and Patrick throw the most bomb parties over here on campus. <laughs> they still talk about it. That was like 94 or something. It was live. It was live. That night I probably heard some uh, beat nuts and then maybe some, uh, I don't know, maybe Kenny tried to put on like a Rage Against the Machine record, you know. <laughs> I remember somebody put on, I had like a Lenny Kravitz record that was like the most uncool record I probably had. And I think it was probably Lacey put on that record. Like, real <laughs> we were talking about Lacey earlier. Yeah, that's some shit she would Are do. you going to go my way? Yeah. Kenny turned off all the music and was like, let's talk about the young black teenagers. You know, they're pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, that's fun. All right, man. Well, the uh, podcast is almost over because the the SD card's about to be full. But, Denver, we had to get you on for a good minute or so before it all ended because, you know, everything we talked about tonight comes full circle with you. Wow, that's great. Man. Yeah, man. It's good talking to you, D-Dog. I'll holler at you shortly, man. Hey, what's your YouTube? Mm, I don't really have one. Come on, I'm man. What kind of comedian are you, man? I'm marching Shit. to the 80s. I know. I'm still like trying to keep a low profile. Oh, well, you're never going to get rich. Already, you're tuned in to Talk So Real with Matt Sanzala. I got Mike Flannery, the American Psycho Man. Denver Smith just joined in right at the end. <clears throat> we appreciate you, brother. Yeah, thanks and, for having me on, guys. Hey, Absolutely. man. Absolutely. Let's do a whole podcast with you, man. Let's do a whole thing. We can do two, three, four good hours talking about everything you got going on, my man. I have a couple yeah. questions for you, actually. Questionable things. Questionable things that might happen with some women in Austin <laughs> in the in the nineties. Nothing bad, uh, nothing bad, nothing bad. But they they loved you. I'll tell you what. I remember. I remember. I'd be like, I want to. They'd be like, No, we want Denver. I um, remember that shit. That's, that's nice to be loved, you know. For sure. Denver was the type of dude you'd show up at a party and you'd be like, What the fuck's going on? People just crazy everywhere. And Denver's like making out with the hottest girl at the party on the couch in the middle of the living room under like a sun lamp. <laughs> Every you know? time. So- it might have, it happened at a party in, in Washington DC one time. Saying DC's it, off the hook. It, it was right. it was like when uh, your 